G'day, it's Phil here. You know, life is a journey, life is an adventure, and Makuta Makaba mm-hmm. has an adventure that is better than most. She's teaching in Guanamago Primary School in Polokwane in Limpopo in South Africa now. How she's got there and what she can teach us about living a life of purpose and about how you build a high performance learning culture around you and how you overcome the obstacles and build the character that you need is just inspiring. Makuta and I had a conversation in November last year and unfortunately Zoom didn't record it so Makuta's very kindly agreed to come back and have that conversation again and we're going to do that right now. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Hello Makuta. How are you? Hi, hi. Phil, I'm doing very well and you? Thank you for asking. I'm doing I'm doing very well. It's um it's a bit cooler now than it was when we spoke last year. But you know, thank you for coming back and talking again. How's your class going this year? How's your teaching going this year? Mm, bit tough because now we're still on the COVID regulations. We get our learners in groups. They change. The other day I'm seeing the other group. The next day I'll be seeing the other group. So I'll be repeating one lesson twice every time so it's challenging and the learners don't have the same abilities so we try to group them according to their abilities so sometimes you have to lower the standards to for the uh, the low achievers to grab uh, and then the higher achievers then will be ahead of the low achievers because they are not sharing a class now which is another advantage as well because it's giving others uh, the chance to grab according to their learning pace. So, of course, that means that you can differentiate the learning properly for them and you can construct human-centred programs Mm -hmm. and do all of those sorts of things. I should say, listeners, Makudu teaches foundation phase and in 2020, she was shortlisted for the Global Teacher Prize and she was selected from over 12,000 nominations and applications from over 140 countries around the world and where did you finish in the end uh uh, in the final 10 in the top 10 imagine being in the top 10 teachers in the world that's quite remarkable (laughs) um i would really love if we can to 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 go back and explore your journey uh, for how you got to where you got to why don't you start us off with your childhood tell us about where you came from tell us about your people tell us about your place yeah, I'm I'm a firstborn of the five kids, and um, my mother was a housewife, uh, not working. My father was working away from us. My stepfather, of course, and who loved me so much. I I can reminisce about that every time. The life I got from that man is overwhelming. Uh, I'm I'm grateful to have him in my life. But we were not doing well in terms of economic standards. Hence, we had to go to school barefooted with a rice sack as a school bag package. Yeah, it was not easy, but we made it. My mother was such a neat person, a person who was orderly. She always wanted things to be done in order. When I came back from school every day, she would want to look at my work. What did you do that day? And had to repeat what I did in the class with her. So she was my mentor in a way. Growing up in that circumstance was uh, a bit challenging. It was a bit challenging in, in, in a sense that it was during the apartheid era, the, 
the classrooms were not enough. We were in overcrowded classrooms. We had to sit on the floors, even on cold days like today. You can see I'm wearing such a warm coat, but you go to school without a jersey. But when you get to school, there's no furniture at all. You have to sit on the floor, get cold throughout when you have to adjust learning. And in a way, learning was not meaningful to me because I just asked myself, why did we have to come to school, live in the comfort of our homes to study in such conditions? And indeed, because of some challenges, peer pressure and stuff, I fell pregnant at the age of 15. I was doing grade 10, which was then at eight at that time. My principal was very devastated with that because I was one of the bright learners in the classroom. Then he had to visit home to speak to my mom to support me until I give birth. And indeed, my mom supported me. I gave birth to my little girl. And when I went back to school, I was going to do grade 11, which is then at nine during that time. I did very well because my mother was on my neck just to make sure that <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm doing everything perfectly. And that year, I managed to be one of, actually a top learner for all the grade 11s. With the challenges of the house chores that my mom was giving me, had to wake up at four o'clock to clean the house before I leave because she has to stay back with the kids while I'm, I'm going to school. When I came back from school, I have to do the nappies, I have to do the washing for the, for the kids, I have to cook again for the, for the dinner. So there was no time to play and I had to study, I had to read. I had to feed my, my, my little baby at night. She won't even wake up, bothering wake up. Because she would say, no, 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 no. I was with the kids throughout the day. Now it's your turn. Of <laughs> if course. You have home, see, how you, see how you do that. And that has, has groomed me because it gave me a lot of responsibility that when I'm at school, I don't have time to play. My break time, it will be 10 minutes. I will eat and I will have to go back to class and work with the little time that I'm eating. So there's a lot of hardship in the, in the first part of this story, isn't there? There's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of challenge. And there's also some very normal stuff in there as well too. But what role do you think challenge plays in childhood in preparing children for adulthood? Challenges, they prepare people to be responsible in future, only if they are resilient enough and they have support. So support system is very important in the lives of children. So so that when they go through challenges, there should be somebody who believes in them. So I was fortunate to have parents who believes in me, even if I did my own mistakes, uh, it pushed me beyond the limits. And when I was faced with the fact that I'm now having a child, I, I made sure that my child doesn't go through the same things that I went through. Then I told myself with the challenges that I experienced that I'm going to cut this chain. This is not going to be repetitive because looking at how South Africa is structured I'm not sure in other countries in the world uh, you find that a woman's place is in the kitchen in the past before we got our democracies so as a woman you were not given first priority in life you were supposed to go to school just to be able to write a letter to your husband or just to be able to interact with the community members, not necessarily that you have to be empowered to be a professional and stuff like that. So that has also helped me to push beyond the limits to say, this must be changed. We need to do things differently. 
women must have the same standards as men in the community because we need each other, both men and women, to empower the generation that comes after us. Let's talk about empowerment for a moment because it's very important in the history of your country, but it's also important in the lives of individuals. Um, and you know, you could argue that you can't empower a country or a section of a country unless you're empowering individuals. How is it that you felt empowered to do what you do? And, and how is it that we empower children? Children should be empowered. First, they should be in family units. There should be stability. There should be stability in such a way that every child, both males and females, needs to find a place of belonging within the household. And if they find a place of belonging, they will continue in life to understand who they are. And when we empower them from that angle, this brings them out the best in them. They start to understand and know who they are. They start to understand where do they fit in within the community that they are going to impact. So it's very important in one way or the other. Uh, so I, I love what you're talking about there because so much of the research that we've been doing over the, over the past decade teaches us all of those sorts of things. So when you come across an exemplary teacher like you who's living that and then you, you, you can then correlate that to all of, the, all of what we've learned around, you know, it, it all starts with belonging because if we feel as though we belong, then we're more likely to fulfil our potential. And if we feel as though we belong and we're fulfilling our potential, we're more likely to do that which is good and right in our lives. You know, I, I love hearing those questions about, you know, who am I and where do I fit in? I think there's another question that follows on from that, which is how can I best be of service to others? And then who's am I? You know, so how did you learn that there was something more for you than looking after a family? Because looking after a family is a very noble thing to do, and it's a good thing to do. And if we don't have mums looking after families, and dads for that matter, and brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas, if we don't have people looking after families, well, then the, the future of the human race is, is going to be rather short. But that notion that for a woman, there can be more than family if they choose to do it. How did you learn that? How did you start thinking about what you might want to do with your life? You know, um, Phil, it, it wasn't easy. That's why I always look at other people and thought, why they don't have much resilience that I had? And that is the one thing that I have learned as a little girl. When I was growing up, seeing how things were done, I always had a mentality to say, this needs to be changed. But how, I didn't know. But I knew in the back of my mind that it has to start somewhere. It has to start with me. So in that way, I decided or I prepared my mind to be, can I say, a sacrifice so that if I would say something to people that we need to change, they have to see it from me. So it is always that somebody has to stand up against something that they don't believe in. Whether if uh, that thing has been normalized within the society, because if you check the societies that we are living in, there are certain things that are being normalized, but we know they are not normal. But uh, because we know that these things have been done by this one and that one and the other one, even if it's not normal, we tend to normalize that because we want to fit in within the society. And then if we stabilize the structures from the home setup, 
wherein we recognize kids, both male and females, that they have a role to play in the life, their lives first and the lives of other people. Now, we can be able to change the societies that we are living in because we will not succumb to who is having the power. Because some, you, you may find that there is an element within a society where power is being abused or power has been misused. And because it is done by a prominent person, nobody can stand up and say, this is not correct. We therefore have to correct it in this way. Hence, I gave an example of as a girl child, I was not going to be given any mandate within the society to make a difference. I was put aside. Hence, when I was supposed to go to a tertiary education, I didn't have anyone to give me money to go to tertiary education. I therefore had to take a domestic work just to find my studies. I'm reflecting on what you're saying right now. And it strikes me that you are a deeply reflective person. You think very deeply about things, which, which I always admire people who do. I'm reflecting on what you're saying, and, it, and I want to start, if I can, with that notion of sacrifice, because there is no service without sacrifice. You've got to give something up. But it's that notion of, well, if I give something up now, then down the track for me and for others, there will be a greater reward. And that deferred gratification we know is really, really important in the lives of children and in adults and so on. Were you taught that at home? I'm not sure if I was taught, but I learned through observation. So it was modelled for I you. observed things, yes. So I observed how things were done and I tried to find myself in the things that were done around me in my environment. And I will listen to my inner person. Does this reflect who I am? And if it doesn't reflect who I am, then I'm misplaced. And therefore, being misplaced means it's either you succumb by fitting in and destroying your inner person, or you stand out in the crowd and display who you are. So we're talking about the formation of character here, aren't we? And the formation of your character. And, you know, again, if, if we look at our research around this, we would say that character is formed by the wrestling between that inner drive of who you want to be which we call realisation, and the need to meet the expectations of others, which we call replication. And we know if it's all extrinsic, if it's all external, if it's all about what other people expect of you, you can't become yourself. And yet it's not a perfect world and it's not a selfish world. You know, it's, it's actually a world of Ubuntu, isn't it? It's, it's I am because you are, so we are interdependent. So there's this wrestling between the inner self and the outer expectations. But at some point, you've got, to you've got to stand up for what you want, don't you? True. That's very true, Phil. You've got to stand up to what you are. And at first, you can be rejected. At first, you might not be taken serious. At first, you might be labeled. But at the end, people will respect. Because in one or the other, we all know the truth. Some of us have suppressed our inner self just to fit in with the environment we find ourselves in. But it doesn't mean that we don't know what it has to be done, what the truth is. And then the minute you stand out and become who you are, you will be labeled as a different person, as a difficult person, as a rebellious person. But deep down, the people who are around you will understand that 
for exactly doing what you are supposed to do. But because some things have been normalized within the society or the environment, now you are being rejected or you are being put aside. And therefore, the wrestling that you are talking about uh, comes in that how are you going to sustain the Ubuntu thing in the midst of your own realization? Fabulous, fabulous. Let's take this story further forward now. So you've gone back to school, you're in standard nine. And you're at school and you're coming home and you're trying to do homework and you're looking after nappies and so on and so on and so on. All of that good type stuff. Uh, and your little girl is growing. Now, I know the story is that you end up at Soweto Teachers College to learn to be a teacher. When did you realise that you wanted to be a teacher? You know, Phil, I never wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> never. <laughs> because the way I grew up, the way I went to school, when I looked at how teachers were struggling with their learners in that last school, I saw the struggle and I told myself, this is the profession I will never take. And remember, we grew up in a situation where there was still corporal punishment. Mm. And some of the learners were punished in such a way that is unacceptable. You feel for how the punishment is being given out. And you, I asked myself, will I really do this? No. And remember, South Africa was one of the countries that will have so many colleges in every town. So every profession for a black society was either teaching, being a nurse, being a policeman. Then the question was, do I really want to one of those? And I said, no, I just wanted to work as an administrator in an office, maybe doing paperwork. But unfortunately, I did not have anyone to take me to the university or the college. And when I realized after having a gap year and taking the domestic work uh, the following year, meaning I had two years out of school after my matrix, I realized that I will end up without a profession. So I teaching because I was escaping poverty. So I grew up in very different circumstances to yours, but I can remember walking out of school on my final day. And I did very well at school. And I remember walking out of school on my very last day and going, I will never set foot in school again. I'd had enough. I didn't want it. And, you know, I was back there in two shakes and I started teaching a few classes and doing some things from there. You know, it's, it's funny how life turns out, isn't it? It's funny. So you do a gap year, you do a year as a domestic servant and you go, no, I'm, I'm, I, need, I need a way out of this. So you off, you go to Soweto Teachers College. Tell me about the Teachers College and what it was like there. When, when I went to Soweto, is because my stepfather was working in Gauteng. So it's about 400 kilometers away from home. Mm. Then when I realized there was nobody who was going to take me to school, because when I worked as a domestic worker, they came and asked me to drop that because nobody in the family has ever done that. And I said, I'm doing it because I want to go to school. And then they said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to drop. And then they begged me to drop uh, the domestic work and go back home and apply. And when I applied, I was taken by the um, Technicon Pretoria, which is Twan University of Technology now. But when they were supposed to pay for the fees, they said they don't have money. Okay. Then I had to pack my bags and go after my father. And when I arrived there, he, I didn't tell anyone. I just packed my bag and my mother was against it. And I said, no are you refusing me to go to school? And she said, no, but you can't just leave and go to somebody when he doesn't know that you are coming. But I said, I wanted to go to school. 
And then when I arrived, he asked me, why are you here with such a big bag? I just took everything at home just to show everybody that I'm not coming back without having any qualification. Then when I arrived, he said, no, go back home uh, because I don't have money to take you to school. And then I cried. I cried hysterically like a mad person. And he later understood that this girl is not going to go anywhere. And when the neighbors asked me, why are you here? Why, why have you come? I said, no, I'm coming. I'm going to school. So I just exercised faith in a way. Then ultimately, yeah. I managed to register at a technical college uh, to do the educare course. And then yeah, when I registered yeah. there, I uh, went to stay with my uncle. And it's a long story. For a year, I did educare at a technical college. And it was a lower level to my metric and when I realized that I started looking for applications at the colleges and then I applied for Soweto College they admitted me and I started going there fortunately Soweto College was having a buzzer it was called Tafsa at that time it's NSFAS now and then I started studying when I was at college I committed myself to my studies because I knew that if I fail I'm going to lose this buzzer yeah, you can't afford to fail. I can't. Can you? Yes, I can't. So every little time now I got the training from when I was at home. I had to study every time when I'm at school. So at college, I did the same thing. When other kids will go to buy their lunch boxes, stuff like that, I will eat enough in the morning so that during lunch I'll go to the library. Yes, so I went to the library and then I will eat again when I get home in the afternoon. And during my second year, I, there was the, the LRC, Lena Representative Council, Student Representative Council uh, contest, and then I entered for that, and I became one of the members of the Student Representative Council. At least uh, my fees were wavered for that year because I was serving as a Student Representative Council. And in one or the other, I don't know, but when I had to use the money to spoil myself, the buzzer money to spoil myself, I spoiled my mother insane. Of course you did. <laughs> had to buy, <laughs> I had to buy things for her and probably the pots, the dinner sets, things that they will work at home, not clothes or things. So during my colleges, I remember I had I had um three jeans with five teeth and a school tracksuit and one jacket throughout. I can count them like that. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was very interesting journey for me. And I had to take jobs, part-time jobs, like stock takings in big shops, like checkers, pick and pay. So sometimes I will find myself knocking off at college, going straight to the start working around 6 p.m. And we will knock off around 1 a.m. in the morning, wait for the transport to take me where I'm staying. From there, I will have to sleep maybe for two hours before I wake up to go to college again. Wow, you're very you're, you're very focused on your goal, aren't you? True, true. I think my mom played a, a major role in there because he was a very strict person. If you didn't do your job, you get your punishment. That's it. And family is very important for you, isn't it? Very important to me. The love that I got from the family, I think is the one that has sustained me as well. So Makudu, family is very important to you, obviously. Very true. I think what we might do is we might just pause here if we can, and then in the next episode okay. of this series, we might uh, we might look at the way in which you move from college to your first teaching appointment and the beginning of your career, which, as we'll discover in the second episode, 
didn't happen so easily. But then nothing happens very easily in your life, does it? Nothing. Nothing at all. You got it tough, but then you're tough in return. Okay. Can you- thank, you, thank you very much, Makuti, for this first episode. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll, we'll pick okay. this up again shortly. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.